Well, who here has ever gone to watch the Washington Generals play? <laughs> you have. You've watched the, and, and, and you have. What, what sport were you uh, watching the Washington Generals play? Basketball. You know, the Washington Generals have played over 27,000 games of basketball. You know that? 27,000 games. That's more than most NBA teams. The NBA season's only like, you know, what, is it 82 games or something like that? So 27,000 games. You know who the Washington Generals play every time they play basketball? You know who? They play the Harlem Globetrotters. Do you know who those people are? There you go. The Harlem Globetrotters, you ever heard of that? They are a basketball team, but they're not really a basketball team. They're sort of a basketball team. It's basically a big show. If you ever go watch them, I went and watched them when I was a little kid. I went to San Diego. We watched them play, and they played against the Washington Generals. And here's something you should know about the Harlem Globetrotters. They win every time. They don't actually play a real game of basketball. All they do is do this comedy act where they like jump around, they like stand on top of the, the rim, they pull people's jerseys off. It's this big, like big comedy show, but it's on a basketball court. The Harlem Globetrotters, they always play the Washington Generals. And one thing that you can know anytime you go to a Harlem Globetrotters game is that they will always win. And the Washington Generals are losers. Actually, I looked up this today. They've played 27,000 games. Guess how many times they've won? 375. I was actually kind of impressed. They lost 27,000 times, but they, they've won 375 times because it's just, just an act. It's just a comedy show. And when you go, it's actually super fun. If you ever get the chance to go, it's, it's, it's super cool. But the thing that you know when you walk in is they're going to lose because there's no way they can win because the game's already set up for them to lose. Now, when you're in the stands, nobody feels bad for the team that's losing. In fact, nobody stands up and says, I want to play on the Washington Generals. I've never seen that happen. I don't think you'd want to be on that losing team either because we don't want to be on the losing team, especially when you know ahead of time that that team's going to lose. You don't want to join a team that has no chance of winning. Well, the reality is that some people do that every single day. They join a team that they know is going to lose. Now, we're going to look at the passage tonight that says that you shouldn't even envy or be jealous of the people who are on the team that's going to lose. Don't join that team. Don't do that because they're going to lose. Now, what are we talking about? Well, Psalm 73 is going to say that if you're a person who's on the winning team, you're right with God. Like, let's say you have a relationship with God. You're a Christian. Um, you should not be jealous or envious of the losing team. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 73 because there's a temptation that's here that we all will face. Whether you think you will or not, everyone in this room will face the temptation that sometimes you will want to be on the other side. Sometimes you will be envious of the people who do whatever they want to do, and it seems like they get away with it. One way of putting that, the way we'll commonly put it, is that you are envious of the world. You look at the sin that the world does, and you think, you know, sometimes I wish I could not be a Christian. Sometimes I wish I didn't have to follow all these rules. Sometimes I wish I didn't have to obey my parents. Sometimes I didn't wish I had to care about things like holiness and like not telling bad jokes and, and not saying bad words and looking at bad things and talking about bad things. Like sometimes I wish that I could do everything that the world does because I look at everyone out there and it seems like they're happier. Things are going well for them. But this text is going to say that there's a righteous person named Asaph who felt all those same feelings but at the end of it all, he comes back and says, I never should have envied the wicked. And that's something we all need to take away 
as we look at this passage. But let's look at this, Psalm 73. It's the longest psalm that we've looked at so far. We're going to read the whole thing real quick and then get three things that we're going to take away from it, three points tonight. It starts like this. Psalm 73 verse 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel. Saying, God has been good to his people, but not just everyone. It says those who have a pure heart, those who are pure in heart. Saying the people who love God and obey God, God is good to those people. Even when sometimes they don't feel like it. And he says, from his own experience, even when I didn't feel like it. Look at verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped. It's like he's walking on a path, and you know, there's ice on the ground, and he's like almost slipping. What, what is he slipping from? Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is the whole key to understanding this whole psalm. It says, for I was envious of the arrogant. Arrogant is a fancy word for prideful. Arrogant people are people who do whatever they want and they think they'll get away with it. It's a lot like the person we talked about in Psalm 53 when we said the fool says in his heart, God's not going to care about this. God won't judge me. God won't say that what I'm doing is wrong. The fool says in his heart, God's not there. That's what these people are like, the arrogant people. He says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So in the world, when you look at it, who do you think are the people who should live the best lives? If you really think about it, who are the people that should have the least amount of hardships? Well, you'd say, well, it's the people who live in God's world the way that God designed. It's the people who do what God's word says. It seems like logically, if you're just thinking, those are the people that are going to have the best life. That's a logical thing to think. But the problem is the scriptures say that's not always how it turns out. And Asaph says, there were times when I was tempted to think that my life should have been better and happier than the sinful, wicked people but didn't always feel that way. Look at verse four. He's gonna describe this big list of things that he noticed about them, these sinners, these people who didn't wanna repent. Verse number four, he says, for they have no pangs until death. It's like they never get sick. It's like they're always healthy, never financial problems. Just everything's great. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now, you might never have looked at a person who is fat and sleek and said, I want to have a body like theirs, but it was like a dad bod, right? I don't know. Like you probably don't look at that and say, that's, that's the... You know, that's what we're shooting for. But, okay, here's what this is talking about. If you're fat and sleek in the ancient days, guess what? That means you got a lot of food. That means you're all good. You're happy. Everything's going well, okay? It didn't say fat and, you know, saggy. Like, it's like fat and sleek. Like, everything's good, healthy about these people, right? He's not talking about people who have bad health. In fact, he's saying people that have good health. He says, I look at these people, and it's like everything's going well for them. Even their health is going well. Look at verse number five. He says, they're not in trouble as others are. Feels like everyone is getting in trouble. People are getting sick. People are dying. People are having loved ones close to them pass away. It seems like for these people, everything's going well. It says they're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is like their necklace. It's like they wake up every morning and put on their necklace of pride and walk around and look down on everyone else because their life is good and other people's are not good. He says, worse, violence covers them as a garment. When they wake up in the morning and put pride on their necklace, so to speak, it's like they grab a robe called violence and they're going to start treating other people bad because guess what? They think they're better than everyone else because everything's going well for them and they don't need to listen to God and they'll start to tell you these things. You shouldn't listen to God. Why, why, would, you, why would you waste your time going to church, reading some ancient book that you don't even know who wrote? Like that, that seems like a lot of waste of time. Why would you ever do that? You believe in God? Have you ever seen him? Do you know what he looks like? What color are his eyes? You know, you've never seen him. Like, these are the type of things that you're going to hear go in your ear, right? 
And all those things, there's good answers to, by the way. I don't want to just throw those out without answers, but we're going to go on. He says, these people, these sinful people, their eyes, they like swell out through fatness. <laughs> That's, I guess, a good thing for them. Um, it says, their hearts overflow with folly. It's like they make up the dumbest things. They say things like I just said before, like people who say, oh, you know, you've never seen God, so he must not be there. Things like that. Those are foolish things. If you ever read the Bible, understood what it says, you wouldn't expect to see God, right? So these people say foolish things. They scoff, verse number eight, and speak with malice. So they laugh at you, and they think that doing good and doing righteously and obeying God, they think that's stupid, and they laugh at you for it. And they say really mean things to you and about you. It says they loftily, they threaten oppression. They say, you know what, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to do all these bad things to you. Verse number seven. They set their mouth against the heavens. So now they're not just talking bad about you. They start talking bad about God. And if you ever watch things that people put together, you'll be surprised how often, even in our day, when people are doing comedy and when people are joking, how often they make fun of your God. They do it all the time. Our world still does this today. They set their mouth against heaven, and their tongue struts through the earth. It's like a, a picture of like a, it's kind of weird, but imagine, you know, people's words are like just galloping around like a horse. They're just strutting through the earth. Right? But what are they doing? They're saying bad things about people. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find fault and find no fault in them. And they say, these evil people, look what they say. How can God know? Is there any knowledge in the most high? It's exactly what I was saying before. It's like, oh, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Oh, God doesn't care how I live my life. God doesn't care. You know, if you love whoever you love, that's fine. God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care about you going to church. God doesn't care about you obeying your parents. You need to live your own truth. Do whatever you want to do. Stop letting people tell you what to do. That's what they'll say to you. Put all that in quotations, right? I don't believe anything I just said. But that's what the evil people will say in our day and age. Is there any knowledge in the most high? They start to say stuff like that. Behold, verse number 12, which behold, whenever you see it in the Bible, here's what it means. It means step back and look, okay? Look, and he says, this, these people, they're the wicked. He's just described evil people. They're always at ease, and they increase in riches. Like, even their life is going well. They're making more money. It's all in vain. I've kept my heart clean. Now he's talking about his own life and washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, you know, I, sometimes I, I think about all the parties I didn't go to and all the bad friends I didn't make and all the fun things that the world had to offer that I didn't do. And sometimes he says, I wonder, did I avoid all those quote-unquote fun things in vain? Should I have just done all those things? Should I have just lived however I wanted to live? He says, sometimes I, I doubt that, right? So if you're a person who's ever doubted that, okay, you're not crazy. The Bible talks about it. This is a righteous guy who felt the same way at times. Verse number 14, for all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. It's like things are going bad for me at every single turn. It makes me wonder if I'm doing the right thing here to obey God. Verse number 15, he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, which that's talking about all the stuff that he just mentioned. He says, if I told people and I went up to somebody and said, you know what? I don't, I don't even know if, if God cares about how I live my life. He says, I, I almost did that is what he's trying to say. I almost went and told people, dude, I think all this is a waste. He said, I almost told people that, but he says, if I would have done that, look at the middle of verse 15, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He's like talking to God here and saying, I'm glad I didn't say that because if I would have told a bunch of people that, yeah, I don't think this is worth it. I'm not going to live for God anymore. If I would have told people that, I would have betrayed them. I would have, done, I would have led people astray if I would have said what I was feeling, which is interesting. It means you should not always say what you're feeling, what you 
You just say everything you feel, you will do positive damage to people sometimes. And that's what verse 15 is talking about. It says, if I, if I told everyone what I felt, I would have led people astray. Verse 16 says, but when I thought how to understand all of this stuff, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It seemed like I would just be stressful and overwhelming until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. That was a word we talked about last week in Psalm 63, the idea that once you go to start thinking about God, you go to God's house where God's worship is taking place, and you start thinking about God. It's a lot like this. When you go throughout your week, you go to school five days a week, you sit next to evil people who are saying bad words all the time and talking about bad things and talking about all the bad parties they go to, that sometimes in your heart you say, oh man, I kind of wish I could go to those things. It's just once you lay in bed at night and wonder, am I wasting my life? Am I doing the wrong thing? He says, you might think that until you go to the sanctuary of God. Till you start focusing your attention on the Lord and look what's going to happen when he starts to think about God. He says, then I discerned their end. Okay? That picture that he just painted of these people who live lives carefree, it seems, disobeying God however they want to. He says, sometimes I'm tempted to think that their life is better until I stop and think about their end. Look what it says in verse 18. Truly, now he's talking to God. He says, truly, you have set them in slippery places. Notice that. He says, at the beginning, my feet almost stumbled. Now he's saying, God, no, you put them in a slippery place. They're going to fall. He says, you make them fall to ruin. Some people look at this passage and say, it's like God lifts up wicked people so high. And why does he give them so much popularity? Why does he let them have so many pleasures in this life? Well, because the higher they go, the harder they fall. It says God puts them there on purpose. Sometimes you look at people in the world who get everything they want, and you think, why does God let that happen? Why doesn't God just strike them down? This text says sometimes God puts people, gives them more popularity, and gives them everything they want so that their fall and their foolishness will be exposed in an even grander way. Probably don't think like that every day. That's what this text is saying. Look at verse 19. He says, how they are destroyed in a moment. It doesn't take long for these wicked people to fall, even if it's when they die. Think about what happens. I just want you to pause and think, okay, what do you know that the Bible teaches? What happens to a person who's lived their whole life in comfort, having success, maybe being talented, gifted, wearing the nicest clothes, driving the nicest cars, doing whatever they want to do, oppressing any people they want to oppress, taking from people, stealing. What happens to them the moment they die? What happens? Think about it. They will be punished by God for their sins forever. And that's, I think, what he's talking about. He's saying it doesn't matter how long they live their life. Because he even said earlier, these people, they are totally fine till the moment they die. They die peacefully in their beds. Right? They're not like all the rest of us who die of sickness. But in a moment, everything is taken away forever. I don't think he's just talking about like them losing their popularity. I think he's talking about people dying and going to hell. That's what he's talking about here in verse 19. He says, how they're swept away utterly by terrors. Verse number 20. He says, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's like when you wake up from a dream and everything felt so real when you're dreaming. Right? I had a weird dream last night. I don't remember what it was about. I just remember it was weird. Like I woke up and was like, what was that? Um, oh, I remember. Okay, kind of weird, but I had a dream. I think it had something to do with revival. 
And I think I was talking to Pastor Mark in my dream last night. It was kind of weird. I was in his office, and we were talking. I don't remember what we talked about. I think it was, had something to do with revival. Anyway, um, that's what I dreamed about last night. You can share your dream with me later. But um, when I woke up, guess what? I didn't wake up in Pastor Mark's office. I woke up in my bed, right? I actually woke up, and uh, I think you, you put Eden right next to me, and that's when I woke up. So Eden was right there. I'm like, whoa, like, where the, and I actually was, like, about to turn over, and I felt like a baby right here. I'm like, what's this girl doing? Yeah, anyway, um, that's what happened at, like, 6.45 this morning. Anyway, um, when you wake up from your dream, guess what happens to that dream world? <laughs> it's done. It's over. It's, like, now back to real life. He says, the wicked people who are enjoying their life, it's like they're living in a dream world, and when God says you're done, boom, they wake up to reality, they're gone. And it's like they've lived a dream here and now, and real life is when they pay for their sin for all of eternity. Because that's what happens when God, it says, like, it's like he wakes them up. They're awake now. Verse number 21. Asaph says, when my soul was embittered, when I felt sad about the things that were hard that were going on in my life, and when I saw their prosperity, I was pricked in my heart. Like, he admits, I, it was hard for me. It was really hard for me to deal with this. Verse number 22 says, but I was brutish and ignorant towards you. I was like a beast towards you. He says to God, God, I'm sorry. I was stubborn. It took me so long to realize that I was envying the wicked. It took me a really long time to realize something. Look what he realizes in verse number 23. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. God, I'm going to be close to you. And what does God do for him? He says, you, God, you hold my right hand. It's like you're carrying me along in this life. You guide me with your counsel. So what God's word says, what righteous people in your life come alongside you and they, they help teach you, it's like you guide me with your counsel. God guides us, his people. And afterwards, what does it say? You will receive me to glory. That's one of the reasons I think he was talking about dying and hell before because he immediately turns around to say, but what are you going to do with me when I die? He says, you're going to receive me to glory when I die. In this life, God will lead Asaph. And the moment Asaph dies, he says, I know I'll be right there with God. Verse number 25, he says, ask a question. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? The answer is, you've got nobody. There's no other God. There's no other person that can help in heaven other than the Lord. Listen, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Think about that. He says, whether in life or in death, God is the best. Whether I live or whether I die, God is better. Whether I'm living in this life and going through the hard things and, and God's guiding me here, God's guiding me here. And when I die, guess what? I'm going to be with God either way. Verse 26, he says, my heart and my flesh may fail. Right? His body, his soul, talking about everything, whether his sickness leads us to death or whatever's going on with Asaph, whatever made him jealous or envious. He seems to talk about health a few times, so maybe Asaph did get sick. And on his sickbed, he was thinking about these things. So he says, my flesh will fail. Right? My body's going to break down. And you know what? Not just my body. My heart is going to do that too. I'm going to be broken sometimes. He says, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Not just for this life, forever, for all of eternity. Verse 27. For behold, step back, look, check this out. Remember that those who are far from you shall perish, die, be separated from God forever. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. I think we're starting to talk not just about the people who are on the outside of Israel, 
but the people who are inside of Israel. Another way of putting that word unfaithful is they didn't keep the covenant, right? It's like they were a part of God's people when they were born, but like they, they were a part of the, the group of people that was supposed to follow God, but most people, they, don't, they didn't follow God, even in Israel's history. Just like today, and you know, when people grow up in the church, not everybody who grows up in the church and goes to Sunday school and goes to Wana, not all those people are going to follow God. So he says, I'll put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to me. I think there's an emphasis, especially the people who knew the truth and didn't respond. Verse number 28. But for me, it's good to be near God. Just like those people were far from God, he says, for me, I want to be close to God. Not just when I go to heaven, but right now. He says, I've made the Lord God my refuge, my hiding place, the place I go for comfort, for strength, for counsel, for all that. Is that I may tell of all your works. In verse 15, he says, I'm not, I, I don't want to tell people about my, my doubting. I think it's going to hurt people. It's going to harm people's faith. He says, but this, I'll tell people all day long. Now, that's a big, long psalm that we just looked at. That's a long song for us to discuss. I've got three quick points for us. Before we get to that, I, I just want you to know the bottom line for us, okay, if you're sitting here, a narrow junior high student, the bottom line for you and for me and for all the leaders, here's the bottom line for us. We all need to stop envying wicked people doing their sin. We will all, every last one of us, I will be tempted, you will be tempted to look at people who are doing sinful things and to think, man, sometimes I wish I could be doing those things. Everyone in this room will be tempted to think that, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. And for some of you, you are not Christians yet, and one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because you are so deathly afraid to miss out on the sin that those people out there in the world are committing. You think, well, maybe I can try that first and then come back around to this later, okay? That is exactly what this psalm is talking about. It says, don't even, don't even envy it right now. Don't think it's going to be better. It will not be better. Mark my words, if you choose to live for God in junior high and you live for God for the rest of your life, everything when it comes to your eternity will be better, right? Even when you go through hardships here and now, if you're close to God, that's better than you living your life however you want to live it, enjoying whatever sin you think you can enjoy, trying to get away with it all. Your life will not be better. All of us need to not envy the wicked because it's better to be close to God. Now, he says at the beginning, truly God is good to Israel. He starts there, but that's not how he felt. Okay. He got around to that. So I think he, he actually begins with his end conclusion. So I want to save that for last. I want to take you through what it feels like to envy the wicked, to turn from that, and then to start trusting God. Okay? What's the first thing? Well, I want you to write this down for number one. I don't want you to entertain envy for sin in your heart. Don't entertain envy for sin in your heart. What's envy? You look at something, you want something, you fixate on it, and then you want it more and more and more, and then it becomes an overwhelmingly strong desire, and you feel like, I gotta have it. It's like the Cold Stone flavors. Like it, love it, and what's the big one? Gotta have it. You never have to have it. Alexander and I got a Cold Stone, gotta have it the other day, because it was like 50 cents more. I was trying to tell her that it was a better deal. It was disgustingly huge. And nobody wanted to carry it. Um, walk around the Irvine Spectrum, look like lunatics with a with a ice cream the size of a five-year-old's head. Like, it was huge. 
It's massive, too big. Got to have it. You don't got to have it with sin. Sorry, that's kind of lame. But that's the truth, right? Sometimes you look at stuff and say, oh, I got to have it, right? No, you, we don't. You don't. Like anything that you, again, going back to those of you here who are not Christians and you know why. And you're like, I'm not because I still like this sin that I'm doing. I, I don't want to become a Christian because if I become a Christian, that means I have to like stop ob- disobeying my parents. I have to, then I have to obey my parents. Because now it feels like I can kind of try to get away with what I can get away with. Right? Um, don't entertain any envy in your head for the people who don't do it. Um, a lot of people, when they're younger, and I'm talking about younger than you, like when they're little, they think the people whose parents have no rules are like the best parents ever. Okay? Maybe, maybe you felt this way before. Like you have friends whose parents are not strict at all. They let them do whatever they want. And you're like, oh, your mom's the best best. Your dad's the best. They have no rules. for You can play as much video games as you want. You can eat whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You, oh, that's the best. Well, can I tell you something? Um, it's probably not as simple as you think. Um, in fact, I'd argue, because the Bible says this, so if this offends you, I'm sorry, but if your parents are not um, some level of strict, right, and every parent's different, Bible says that if your parents don't discipline you and try to instruct you and guide you in life, they don't even love you, okay? Well, that's a hard truth. That's what the Bible says. It says if you spare the rod, if you don't want to correct or direct your child, um, that's not a sign of love. That's, that's, that's actually a sign that um, there's not as much care there. For, so for those of you who sit here and you think you've got people in your life who, oh, I, you envy them because they can, oh, disobey their parents or do whatever they want. Can I just tell you something? You have something better, right? If your parents are... You might think they're strict, but if they have rules and they, they care and they want you to fulfill those rules, like, that's love. That's not, that, that's not something worse. That's just a small example. There can be a million things you can fill in the blank there. A couple verses I want you to write down. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 says, let not your heart envy sinners. It's like, if you let your heart go wild and you fixate on the things that you don't have that you want, you will start to envy sinners. People who do what's wrong on purpose. It says, don't let your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Love that phrase, like all the day long. Whether it's the morning, whether it's nighttime, right? Whether you're alone, whether you're with other people, fear God. God's there, God sees, God knows. Don't act like God's not over your shoulder because he always is, right? Continue to fear the Lord. The next verse says, surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. A couple verses later, Proverbs 24, 1 and 2. So the next chapter, it's actually interesting. Right after that, he talks about multiple areas of sin that people engage in. He says, don't hang out with the gluttons. Don't hang out with the drunkards, right? The people who take everything in this life to excess. Like, they don't know that a lot of a good thing becomes a bad thing. They don't understand that if you eat the gotta have it at Colstone, it's just too much ice cream right? Um, not just ice cream, obviously, but worse things than that. He says, don't be tempted by the people who do sexual sin. He says, don't walk down that road. You might look at them and think they've got it better. Don't, don't join with them. Don't join with the drunkards. Don't join with the people who do everything in excess. Verse 20, or, or chapter 24, verse 1 and 2 says, be not envious of evil men, same idea, and don't desire to be with them. Don't want, like, some of you think, oh, if I was just friends with someone who's bad, 
like, and I know they're kind of bad, but like, if I was friends with them, I could get invited to the parties that I could never get invited. Like, don't, en- stop envying them. Stop wanting to be their best friend. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. It's not going to lead to good things. It says, for their heart, evil men, they devise violence. They think about ways that they can take advantage of other people. And their lips talk of trouble. They're thinking about what, well, okay, what bad thing could we do this time? What, pr- what prank could we pull now that would really disrupt people? Like, what, what bad thing could we do to people? Just don't desire to be with them. I want you to imagine, and this is like a stretch because I'm not really a car person. Um, I've only ever owned t- two cars, and I bought my second car ever last year. Um, and so I'm not a car person. But I want you to imagine that one day I have a conversation with Alexandra and say, Alexandra, I need to tell you something. It's time for us to buy a Ferrari. It's time for us to buy a Ferrari. Um, I found one. Uh, it's, it's not much. It's only $150,000. Um, it's, time, it's time to buy the Ferrari. I got to have it. I cold stone. I got to have it, okay? Um, and she says, hi, um, who are you? Uh, where'd my husband go? Like, what are you talking about? And I say, nope, it's decided. It's done. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we got a lot of clothes. You got a lot of shoes. We got a lot of got purses, right? Um, we're going to sell everything. Sell everything because I got to have this Ferrari. And she says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 you don't, don't sell. Oh, I'm going to sell the crib. I'm going to sell all the baby stuff. Um, we can give Eden like one or two onesies, right? Um, and we can always just, you know, dumpster dive for, for clothes for her. Um, I mean, she does, doesn't really need food. She's a baby. I mean, it only eats a little bit. We can just, you know, we could dumpster dive for that. Um, Got to have this Ferrari. Um, I want you to imagine that we own a house. We don't own a house. Um, we're too young to own a house. Um, but just imagine we own a house. Say, well, I can, I'm going to sell the house. Uh, I, I'm going to take on maybe another job or something. I'm just, we got to have this Ferrari. At some point you say, John, 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 stop. Like, stop it. Okay. I know you think the Ferrari will make you happy, but don't, you're going to ruin your life to get the Ferrari. Like, it's not worth it. Right. You tell me that. Would you tell me that at some point, please? You tell me that. Right. Um, <laughs> I hope so. You say, John, you can't afford it. Don't do that. Um, don't ruin your life for that. Um, and then I said, you know what? No, um, what I'm going to do I love watching videos about the Ferrari. So I've been, my YouTube page just every day, I'm just watching videos about the Ferrari. And I'm just reading articles about the exact one I want. And, you know, I can go customize the seats and I can get it. You say, John, stop looking like you're, you're, you're falling into a pit here, man. Just like, maybe give it a week. Think about it for a little bit, okay? I'm like, nope, no, 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 I, I just want this. And I was just so fixated and focused on having it. You would say, John, okay, stop looking at videos of the Ferrari, okay? not good for you. Stop reading. How about go to work, right? Do, do, do your normal thing. Maybe, I don't know, like hang out with your baby. Maybe that will convince you not to sell all of her stuff, right? Um, maybe talk to your wife. Maybe have dinner. Like do something other than fixate on the Ferrari, okay? I gave that because it's just a dumb thing. I, I hope I'd never do it. Um, I don't really care about cars, but you could help me through that, and you would give me all this advice, wouldn't you? Well, don't stop, stop looking it up all the time. Stop, stop reading the articles all the time. That's exactly what I think we need to do when it comes to the world. If you are a person who envies the world and you know it's a problem in a particular area, and for you it's different than for you and for you and for you. You guys all have it different, but we all have that problem to some extent or another. 
Matthew 5.29 says that if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. What does that mean? It means if there's something in your life that's leading you into sin, you should just get rid of it. It'd be better for you to pull out your eyeball and not sin, which it doesn't work that way, right? Don't think that, oh, I'm envying something. I know what I'll do. I'll just pull out my eyeball, right? doesn't work, right? Because your heart's still sinful. But the idea is, is still the same. Like, you got to take extreme measures sometimes and say, if this is a massive temptation for me, and I know I'm envying the world because of this, because of that friend, and I know that whenever I hang out with them, I'm always led into bad places. Well, then maybe it's probably time to cut off that friendship. I know that if I use that app on my phone, I know things are going to go bad. Well, then time to delete that app, okay? If you know, it's like, oh, if I'm listening to this music or I'm watching these movies, I know that I'll be led into a particular sin. Well, then stop it. Like, I, that's the advice that you would give to me if I was obsessed with buying a Ferrari, okay? It's the same thing I think we need to take into our lives. Proverbs 6.27 says, can a man carry fire next to his clothes and not be burned? Right? Some of us think that we can carry temptation so close to us and think it doesn't affect us. Not true. Next verse says, or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? What's the answer? You can't. Like, you're not that strong. You're not that self-disciplined. We all need to hear that. Like, sometimes we overestimate how strong we are when it comes to sin. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. If you think you're standing on solid ground, look out, because that's probably the time when temptation is going to be worse. Now, don't let your heart entertain envy. Don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. If there's people that you envy, stop looking at them. Stop following them. Stop chasing that lifestyle if it's leading to sin. Not only should you not entertain the idea in your heart, um, you shouldn't look at what they're doing and think it's going to work out for them, right? That's the problem. Sometimes we, we want those things because we think, I'd rather be them enjoying whatever sin they're doing because I'm Mr. Lame person over here and I don't get to, you know, I don't get to do all that stuff that they're doing, right? You envy, you think their life is better than your life if you're avoiding that sin. That's what Asaph said too. He said, until I started thinking about God, until I went to the sanctuary and thought about God, I saw that God put these people in slippery places. And it's not always a good thing that he gives these people everything they want. Sometimes we don't realize that one of the judgments of God is to give people everything their heart wants. It's like we forget that, right? You think about that for you, because Romans 1 says, you know, some people have hardened hearts, and God gives them over to their sin, right? But you and I sometimes look at the, you know, the rich and famous and the people who have everything they want, and we think, wow, God's just given them such, such amazing things. Well, kind of. Kind of, except they're so satisfied and happy in everything they have that they don't turn to God, right? I'm not saying that they can't. Some of them do. God does draw some of them. But the point is, sometimes we look at that and think it's all this good stuff. It's not always good stuff. God uses the bad things in our life to draw us close to him, usually more than he uses the good things. Romans 2, 4 says he uses the good things. But I think the rest of the scriptures talk about how he also uses the bad things. Asaph says, I thought about their position, and thought, God is going to judge them quickly, and it's going to be over before they know it. Point number two, I want you to do the same thing. Anticipate God's final punishment for evil. Anticipate God's final punishment for evil. Anticipate. Get ready for it. Realize it's happening. Think about it. Don't just think about it once. Think about it often. 
the people who think they're getting away with their sin. The Bible says that we will all be judged according to what's written in the book, God's book, according to the things that we have done. So the things that people do that you envy sometimes, it's like, well, God's going to judge them for that thing. They're going to get in trouble for that thing that you want. It's like, stop wanting it then, right? Because when we come to our senses, we're like, oh, you know what? I know I shouldn't. I, I know that I shouldn't want because... Because I know they don't know God, and I know ultimately it's not going to work out for them. But we forget it in the moment. That's why going to the sanctuary, which is what verse 17 says, going to church, thinking about these things is helpful for all of us. Because it makes us step back and look. Like, wait a minute. I know that person has everything they seem like they want, but that's not always a good thing. You know, I I can be thankful that God hasn't given me everything my heart wants. Because if I did have everything my heart wanted, I probably wouldn't want God. We step back and start to see that when it comes to church. You're in Psalm 73. Look at Psalm 37. Turn to the left in your Bible. Psalm 37. Just a few chapters over in your Bible. Psalm 37 talks about something similar. But in this text, we're given some more positive commands. Like, okay, don't envy sinners. It says that. But what should we do instead? Psalm 73 doesn't tell us that much about what we should do. It does remind us of the truths that God holds his people close and it's good to be near God. It tells us that, but it doesn't always tell us what to do. Psalm 70, or 37 actually does give us some instructions on what we should do instead of envying the wicked. Psalm 37, look at verse 1. Psalm 37, 1. It says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Don't get worked up. Don't get mad. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Right? Okay. We already talked about that. That's the same kind of stuff from Psalm 73. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. You can't make friends with faithfulness. Okay? What does it mean to befriend faithfulness? It means that you, as a person and as someone who knows God, you start to say, I'm going to do what is faithful to God. I'm going to keep my commitments. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to obey God from the heart. I'm going to befriend faithfulness is what he's talking about. Verse number 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Love God, which is what Psalm 63 was about. We talked about that last week. It's really what Psalm 73 is going to talk about. It's what Psalm 37 is going to talk about. Like, delight yourself in the Lord. Love God. Like, love God. He's good. Delight yourself in the Lord. And look what it says next. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. So I thought you said our desires of our heart are bad. Well, they are when we're focused on the wicked things. But he's saying here, don't worry about the wicked people. Just love God, want what God wants. And guess what? When you start to delight yourself in the Lord and want what God wants, guess what he'll start to do? He'll give you those things. What does God want for you? Think about it. What does the Bible say God's will for your life is? I can think of a couple passages in the New Testament. This is the will of God for your life. 1 Thess 4, 3, your sanctification. Verse 5, 16, 17, that you would be thankful. That's, a, that's, God's, that's what God wants. Romans 8, 29, that you'd be conformed to the image of his son. That's another thing God wants for you. James 1, 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who will give generously to all without reproach. James 1, 4, the verse above, that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that you would take whatever trials God gives you and say, I'm going to grow through it. Those are all things that God wants. So now, if you as a person are now saying, I want what God wants, Guess what he'll start to do? Great. God will give you those things. He'll make you more like him. He'll grow you closer to him. He'll make you love him more. The more you love God, the more you'll start to love God more. 
weird, but it's like that's how it works. Verse number five. Then it says, commit your way to the Lord. What does that mean? Your lifestyle, your choices, your words. I'm going to do what God wants, and I'm going to do it for him. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God at school through doing whatever he wants me to do. Because Colossians 3 says I'm supposed to work hard for God and not just do it for my teachers and not just do it for my parents and my grades. I'm going to do it for God. I'm going to do that. And guess what? God's going to be happy about that. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. Whatever thing we need God to take care of, he'll, he'll take care of it at some point. He might wait a little longer than you want, but he'll take care of it. Verse number six, he'll bring forth justice and righteousness as light. So bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, the evil person who does whatever they want to do. Don't worry about them over the man who carries out his own evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. It goes on. He talks about this in this whole psalm. I mean, later on, look at verse number 35. Drop down to verse 35. He says, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man. He paints a picture. He says, imagine this guy, wicked and ruthless. He spreads himself out like a green laurel tree, like a big tree. He has everything he wants, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless. Now think about the blameless person, the righteous person, the person who loves God and does what's right. Behold the upright, for there's a future for the man of peace. But transgressors, these sinful people, they'll be destroyed altogether. But the future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Like, so if you live your life in God and God blesses you and God takes care of you, guess what? Then your life is with him. And guess what? Things are going to go well and, and, and God's going to take care of you. Even if things go terrible for you in your life, God's going to really ultimately take care of you. It says, he is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Okay. So this psalm talks all about it. You can look it up later and read the whole psalm because it all gets into it. But it's just interesting how if you start to think about how God's going to take care of evil and he's going to punish wicked, like it's, it doesn't look as attractive anymore. There was a time, I think it was last week, Alexander and I watched a movie, and we didn't, like, never really watch movies. We watched a movie, but this particular movie that we were watching, I had read the book, so I knew what was going to happen the whole time, and she didn't, right? So she was, she was excited. I mean, I was excited, too, whatever, watching a movie, um, but I knew the whole time what was going to happen, and I didn't say. And, you know, she's kind of asking the questions, and I was, like, kind of throwing her off, like, well, maybe this is going to happen, maybe. And it was like, oh, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. So, anyway, she found out what happened, and, you know, who done it and stuff, and it was, it was whatever. But uh, just interesting. I, I knew the ending the whole time, so I wasn't, I was never like stressed out or never thought, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. I, I knew ultimately it was going to happen. Obviously, hadn't seen the movie, but I knew it was going to happen. That's how this is going to go with God and the righteous people and the wicked people. You know what's going to happen, okay? The world can be surprised that those who had the best life and those who had whatever they wanted and didn't respect God, the world can be surprised that things won't work out for them in the end, but you're not going to be. I'm not going to be. It's going to happen before your eyes, and it's going to be like, wow, that's amazing. God is amazing, but ultimately, it's like you know the end. Sometimes we know the end, and we don't really care. 
That's hard. It's hard for every one of us. Not just, it's not a you problem. It's not a junior high problem. It's an adult problem. It's an, it's an every Christian problem. Jesus told a story once of a guy who thought he could do whatever he wanted, and God told him, nope. He says, you're going to die tonight. Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool, Luke 12, 16 to 21. Jesus said, this guy thought he could live a long, prosperous life, and everything was going to go well for him. But God said to him, you're a fool, and this very night, your life's going to be taken away. It's interesting how he thought um, everything was going to go well. That's how most evil people think. They think, ah, everything's good. Another verse for you to write down, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This gives a sharper, clear description of what's going to happen to the people who will not submit to Jesus as the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 says, In flaming fire, Jesus will come inflicting judgment on those who do not know God, those who are not close to God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. It's just interesting. It's like they heard it, and they said, I'm not going to respond. This text could not be clearer, right? If you think that this is going to be a surprise, let me just tell you, the Bible says it. Don't be surprised by this. It says, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Here's what it says next. It says, they... These people who didn't want to respond to the gospel, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. It's like being destroyed away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of its might, right? Away from God. Like, that's what the Bible says. To most of you, that's not news to you, right? Most of you already know this, okay? But I want you to come face-to-face with that reality, and I want you to turn to Jesus who will save you. He will save you and forgive you. So these wicked people who act like, you know, they're doing whatever they want, or the people maybe who seem less wicked, but they want what the world has, and they won't respond to Jesus. You know, if you turn to Jesus, he will save you and forgive you. It's a promise. That's a guarantee. It's what he says in his word. You need to trust him. Trust and ask. Be careful. Those texts, especially 2 Thessalonians 1, is not talking about you. If it is talking about you, you can Go to Jesus and be forgiven. Hebrews 7 says he'll save to the uttermost. You could be a really, really bad sinner. He'll save you, but you have to trust him. You have to turn to him. If you have done that, well, be careful. You're not envying the people that don't know him. On the other hand, what's the good news that Asaph includes? He says, well, for me, it's good to be near God. I mean, he guides me. He comforts me. He gives me strength. When my heart and flesh fail, he gives me strength. He's my portion. He's my strength. Although that's scary news in point number two. Point number three, I want you to believe that God is your only source of good. Believe that God is your only source of good. That's true whether you're a Christian or not. He's your only source of good. Whatever you have that you like and you think is good, God gave it to you. And he's the one who speaks in his word. He's the one who makes promises and fulfills them. Whom have I in heaven but you? Answer, nobody. What does he desire on earth besides God? He says, well, ultimately, compared to God, nothing. There's four different Psalms I want you to write down that talk about this. The first one is this, Psalm 65, verse 4. Psalm 65, 4 says, blessed is the one, this is talking about God, blessed is the one that you, God, choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Like the person that God draws into a relationship with him, they're going to be blessed. They're going to be happy. 
says, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. Like being close to God, that's going to make us happy. It says it's, it's blessed, it's a good, it's a good thing, it's a happy thing to be drawn by God, to be close to him. Psalm 84, verse 11, similar, says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Like God gives us everything we need and more. He says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. He doesn't turn people away who trust in him. Psalm 116, another one for you. Psalm 116. If you're quick, you can turn there. Psalm 116, it's a long one. Short chapter, but I read almost the whole thing. Psalm 116 says, says, I love the Lord. Because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. That's where a lot of you are right now. You know you need, to, you need to call out on God for mercy. He says, I love God. You know why I love God? Main reason why I love God. Because I called to him for mercy and he answered my prayer. He forgave me. Because he does that to everyone who calls on him for mercy and trusts him. He heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. I'll trust him. I'll pray to him forever. The snares of death had encompassed me. It's like I was surrounded. The pangs of Sheol or the pit or the grave, they laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Quote, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Pretty quick prayer, but still, look what happens. He says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. You don't have to be a a PhD student, you don't have to be a graduate of a seminary to understand this. It says, the Lord preserves the simple, the one who trusts in him. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you know. All you need to know is that God takes in sinners and you call on him and trust that Jesus will forgive you. He takes in the simple. Goes on, he says, when I was brought low, he saved me. Then he says, return my soul to your rest for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you for you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So even before I die, I'm going to walk with God. I know God because he heard my prayers. He gave me mercy. If you're a Christian, you can basically say that same thing with an even stronger force than he can. Because you've not just been saved from the pit and from an illness and from death. You've been saved from eternal death through what Jesus did for you. Last one I want you to write down is Psalm 34, verses 8, 9, and 10. Psalm 34, 8 through 10. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like God is good, and you should experience that goodness because he's good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Then he turns to the people who do trust God and says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. If you're, if you're a Christian, you should fear God. Those who fear him and have a right relationship with God, respecting him rightly, obeying his rules, they have no lack. There's nothing that they can turn around and say, God has not done this for me and he needs to. It's like, no, he get everything they need and more. There's no lack. And then it says, the young lions, right, those big animals, they, they suffer want and hunger, even though they're strong and powerful. Even they don't have enough food all the time. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God takes care of his people. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. It reminds me of a time in my life where I, I settled for really bad coffee. Um, maybe you're at that stage right now where you're just like starting to try coffee. It started for me a little, a little bit older than you, but it, 
my first like coffee experience was with two places, McDonald's and Starbucks, okay? It's got some ooze from the crowd. Yeah, yeah. So let me talk to you about McDonald's coffee for a second. Um, I had, and it was really good at the time, the Mick Cafe Mocha Frappuccino from, from McDonald's, okay? Sounds innocent enough, right? Um, it, it, it tasted really good to me. And that's why I liked it, because it wasn't very coffee-like. It was pretty sweet. It was just like chocolate milk with, you know, McDonald's in it, right? Whatever that is. Um, can I tell you, I liked it a lot, but I got sick almost every time I had it. I mean, like, sick, sick. Not, well, sick, maybe one sick, not two six. It was, like, mostly sick. But I felt disgusting every time. And it's like I, I knew it was going to happen. It's like, hmm, should I get sick today? Hmm, why not, right? And I went for it. And, like, it really took, like, two times of having it to know, like, uh, me and the Mick Cafe, we do not agree, okay? It took literally, like, two times. And then after two times, I knew, but I probably had probably had it like a dozen times. Um, so the last 10 times I had it, I knew I was going to get sick before. It was bad. Anyway, um, I have not faced that temptation in a while. You know why? Um, because I've got good coffee at home. I, I don't need the McDonald's Mint Cafe. I've got good coffee at church, right? I've got a machine. We hit the button and boom, it comes out. And it's great. I don't, I don't need the Mint Cafe. It's like, it's not a huge temptation for me now because it's like, I know that I can have you know, nice coffee that I'm not going to want to throw up afterwards, right? It's really good. It's nice to know that, you know, it wasn't the coffee. There's something in that Mick Cafe. I don't know what it is, but um, just did not agree with me. Anyway, whatever. Some of you know. Um, I don't know what it is. But I don't have such a strong temptation now for it. When I was younger, I did. The difference for me is I have something better now that I know I can have, and I, I never have even tempted to that because I understand how good what I have is. Here's what I'm trying to say. The temptation to be envious of the world, that's a real strong pull for probably all of us here. But there's a group of people here that it's probably less of a pull for. The people who know how good God is, they are tempted less in this area. So whoever in this room, if we just take the pool of this room, whoever knows God best, loves him most, for them, they're usually, usually, less tempted to be envious of the world because they're like, I have something better. I don't need the McCafe Frappuccino. I've got my good coffee. Why would, I, why would I get something that's worse when I already have something better? What I'm trying to say for us is if we experience, we taste and see that the Lord is good, and we care about what he cares about, and we love him and you start to think about the goodness of God in your life, that right there is a powerful tool that you can have in your tool belt for fighting the temptation to envy the wicked. Because like if you're thinking, oh, I really struggle because there's, there's the wicked, they do stuff and I, I kind of want to do it. Well, stop and think about how God good, how good God has been. Stop and think about how amazing he is. You are a lot less tempted to envy what they have when you realize that you have something better. You have God why all of us should grow in this area. Although this is an area that everyone in here will have their own struggles with, we all should grow as we love God more and we understand who he is better. This is an area that we should grow in. Our hearts should become less attached to the world and more attached to God 
And that's the story of Asaph. I hope that's a story for all of us. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would take this text to heart, seeing the, the struggle that this godly man had, where he at the beginning could say, I know God is good to Israel. We know he could only come around to that conclusion after he had been through this hard trial. And I just pray for those of us here tonight that are in one of these trials, that we've looked at sinful people doing sinful things, and sometimes we wish that we could have what they have. I just pray that we all knock it off, and those of us who are in Christ would, would really get over that. We'd look to you and see how good we have it, being in a relationship with you, and we wouldn't envy people who are going to be judged for their sin one day. We'd seek God more, care about him more, whatever stuff that we could have in this world or whatever sin that we could have and enjoy that we think is better. We know ultimately we're not thinking straight. We have those thoughts. We're not thinking honestly. So please give us clarity tonight as we come to the sanctuary, so to speak, and think about you, as we think about your goodness and your grace and just how amazing you are. Pray that you would correct our heart from thinking anything that we shouldn't and that you grow us all in this area as we get to know you better and love you more. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.